You're listening to Behind the Hype, where we delve into the stories of artists who are making waves in the digital world, shining a light on their unique journey and creative process as we discuss key moments that propelled them into the spotlight. I'm Shay Connolly. And I'm Mark Conway. Let's get into it. Today, Alice. first came on our radar late last year lighting up our twitter spaces with her tracks that left everyone speechless then she won everyone over with her laid-back vibe and british charm she's a maverick musician producer and awesome visual artist she weaves it all together with tribal beats electronic vibes and ethereal soul into a sound that's all her own it's led her to collaborations with big names like abbey road studios and the london contemporary orchestra Her song Pyramid blew up on the Spotify viral charts and TikTok last year, racking up over 20 million streams. She's super cool. We're excited to have her on the show. Thanks to our sponsors at Massive, we kicked off by asking Alice, who are you a Massive fan of? In terms of experimentation and just the sonic palette, I would say Subtract, that is a UK producer, really, really inspired me and and kind of got me thinking about production in a different way slash James Blake like early James Blake I would say those two are the inspos so that's not one that's two Alice joins us from her home in the UK you mentioned your your two fronts with electronic and piano or your few fronts and obviously you're a visual artist as well I'm curious how much your visual art plays into your music and and vice versa? Well, I would say visual art came before music. I mean, when I was a little girl, I was always drawing fairies and like sassy alien women for some reason. And then music came and I kind of put drawing and things to the side. But then after a while of producing, it was just after I started producing, that's when I started creating the sort of Uh, sacred geometry the black and gold so that and that sort of just came out of nowhere the idea for that I was just doodling bored in uh, a telemarketing job just doing surveys and I was so bored so I started drawing all these strange geometrical shapes that I'd never drawn before and uh, someone was like oh these look like a like these are like a mushroom trip I had or this looks like my LSD like you know the visions I had there and so I kind of And I would be doodling while writing lyrics at the same time. So there wasn't like a direct link, I guess, between how they influenced each other. But it felt like when I started doing more of these drawings and transferring them onto the black and gold kind of artwork, I would be listening to a lot of esoteric kind of videos and like alien channelers and this kind of out there stuff while I was drawing. And then what I was listening to in there, what these people were saying would then transfer in how I was writing lyrics and I would be, you know, bringing those concepts into songs. And there was a lot of kind of, I would, I I would say the healing came, yeah, not so much from drawing, but just from listening to these songs while listening to this, these videos while drawing and then, you know, putting those into lyrics. And that really, I guess, transformed how I was writing there was kind of a more philosophical kind of broader element to the lyrics and tapping into more kind of I guess out there subjects but bringing it into you know the electronic field so that's a very non-linear way of saying how they influence each other but yeah yeah I get that because your videos are so visually striking and prominent does that come after you write the song or does that all sort of work intertwined and is planned from the start Yeah, it's definitely an intertwined process. Like I, you know, throughout 
the day or, or sometimes I'll just have these like bursts of like a vision of something and so I have my little kind of notes that I'll write down ideas and then a song will come and it will be like ah these two concepts fit perfectly or while I'm making the music you know a vision will just come in my head for the like for the video so there's definitely kind of an an exchange uh, an interplay of you know I've got an idea here and then an idea here and then they just kind of come together and but a lot of the ideas I guess visually as well come from meditations like I really pay attention to my dreams and meditation as a means to kind of really incorporate that into my creativity because I feel like that realm is so unique to us it's kind of like our dreams and visions are a bit like a fingerprint for our own life so I like to draw inspiration from those places before anything else for visuals and I guess lyrics and things like that so that's interesting that's almost like a synesthesia of um writing visually yeah I guess you could say that I guess you could say that because it is definitely visual I always see I see very clearly like the story that's happening while I'm writing so I'd love to have actual synesthesia how'd you say (laughs) (laughs) you want to taste some colors yeah yeah And I know you were classically trained in piano and violin. Yeah, I was classically trained by my dad on the violin because he's a he's a violinist for the opera house and a composer. So he's obviously got that very classical background, although his compositions are much more avant garde, like strange jazz influence with crossover with these other things. Anyway, so, yeah, my dad. Uh, trained me on the violin and then I had piano lessons kind of separately but that was only up until about the age of 15 because it then became not cool you know to be in the school (laughs) orchestra but I continued the piano the piano did kind of stay um because that's I guess not as uncool as the violin at that age for some reason (laughs) you mentioned piano and violin I'm curious how that developed into what you're doing now obviously your sound is so unique and alternative I'm curious of that progression from learning classically and then doing what you do now well I suppose when I think about my parents taste because I do think our music taste is so defined by what our parents listen to as a kind of basis um at least I I observe that in others as well but my mum and dad both had extremely diverse tastes obviously my dad you know classical and you know, I was learning that, but my mum would listen to the kind of complete opposite, like Motown and more pop stuff. And, you know, so I had this kind of really wide spectrum of music from both mum and dad. And then with my own classical training, I guess I didn't have a theory knowledge. I just kind of learned clonkety clonk, like I'm going to play some Mozart and, you know, it was that there wasn't that soul to it. But I then heard Alicia Keys and I heard her first album and that just blew me away because I'd never heard piano and vocal done in that way, you know, because she also had a very classical element, but she kind of was bringing more jazz and, you know, just more gospel influence in her chords. So that just struck a chord, mind the pun, struck a chord with me. And I began kind of just crafting chords in my own way based on on how she was kind of doing it and and trying to experiment more with jazzy influences so I guess the the classical training helped me have like train my ear because obviously you know especially playing violin you have to really train your ear otherwise it just sounds terrible so that I would say gave me the ear training and the piano, you know, discipline helped me kind of focus and shifting it over to learning something different. But 
yeah, I, I didn't I didn't have the same soul with classical music as I did when I heard Alicia Keys. That was a very different feeling. So I quickly gave that up, got the Alicia Keys songbook, and then I was just off. And I didn't actually, I wasn't even singing then. It took me a while to kind of find my voice and start singing. Because me and my friend would go in the music's, the music room at school on our lunch times, and she would be singing the Alicia Keys vocal and I would be playing the piano and then she was like oh can you harmonize with this and I didn't really know how to do that but I started doing it and realized oh god I can actually sing so yeah it was quite an interesting switch over so that's how you found your voice and started singing from being a musician yeah for sure cool. definitely those those lunch times I just something kind of awakened as I was singing along with her because she had an incredible voice so I kind of really was just riffing off her and like, oh my God, I can sing as well. Because <laughs> I was very shy. I was a very shy child, I would say, like slow to kind of feel confident in myself. But yeah, that was like, I could then release my sensitivities, you know, while playing the piano and singing. Amazing. So after that, did you just start practicing the piano with singing or did you stick with her for a little bit doing her harmonies or did you get straight into singing? I think at the time when I, I, I reflect back, so at around that time I have an older sister and she was she's a writer, but she was writing poetry and all these kind of very kind of depressing teenage poems. And she asked me to if I could create a song out of them. So that was my first go at songwriting. Obviously I was, yeah, singing with my friend and just singing along with her. But I guess when my sister gave me these poems, that was when I first started, you know, playing around with top line melodies and actually just creating my own words. And then that then linked over to learning to actually record my own vocals. And but yeah, it was, it was my sister's poetry that really, I guess, ignited my own kind of take with words and then, you know, influenced by that and putting my own experience into words. So a very creative family then. Yeah, my sister, well, my, as I said, my sister's a writer. I mean, she played clarinet growing up. Um, my dad's side, definitely. My my nana, his mum, she was a piano teacher. And she, yeah, she, I think she composed a little bit. But yeah, my dad was like the composer. My uncle, his brother, fixes all the woodwind instruments for the Royal Opera House in London. So there's like this kind of mix over with the technical side and the playing side the teaching side so and my cousins as well they're musical so it was kind of like just gonna happen I guess and my mum would just be singing 24 7 so <laughs> embarrassing wow. me I'm imagining your family Christmas is just a music jamboree <laughs> yeah it really was my nana would be like okay grandchildren you need to perform for us she didn't speak like that she was a lot more all right children come and perform for us <laughs> So yeah, we'd have our little family family concert. And my sister actually said she said when I was young and I so I maybe did start singing younger because she said that I would I would just be looking up at mum and then trying to copy her singing. So maybe I did have a little voice when I was I was a baby, but yeah. <laughs> but I guess that does bring us to the next question that I wanted to ask, which was um if you could go back in time and give your younger self some advice, what would it be? keep moving forward and doing what you're doing and stop worrying like if other people are going to like it and just really keep that vision because because I had the the double side of you know writing more electronic music and piano and I still do some people would be like oh you know you should focus on piano music or you should focus on singing over electronic music and it was very confusing so 
yeah, I would encourage my younger self just to really kind of shut those voices down and just go full steam ahead with all I wanted to do, you know, easier said than done with the other voices, but (laughs) yeah. Your music does change a little bit throughout your scope as I was listening to your older albums and whatnot. Do you have a favourite song that you've ever written where you're like, yeah, this is my sound, where you were just so content with it? There's actually a song which didn't really get much attention only because it was just kind of deep in my album. Um, But there's a track on my Plutonia album called Irrelevant that I feel like encapsulated a lot of my, just how the the sound palette, it kind of brought together so many different things. Um, And whenever I hear that, I have like a really grounded sense of like, yes, this really feels like me in every sense. And not that the others don't, but there's just something always special about that song when I listen to it. I don't know if it was the time that I wrote it or how I was feeling when I wrote it, but there was just so much of me that went into that that I can't necessarily put into words. But yeah, I would say, yeah, there's a track called Irrelevant that when I, I I kind of feel sad that I didn't kind of put that out more, but then at the same time, it's got a special little place. And I do sometimes get messages from people talking about that song and saying how much it kind of touched them. So that's always confirmation, I guess, that or it's just nice to know that it has resonated with people, even though it's tucked away in the album. So we'll go with Irrelevant for that. So when you say it was quite important to you and you put yourself into it, is there any type of event that was going on in your life or storyline behind it for you personally? Yeah, well, I, I wrote that at the time. I was in a really horrible relationship for a while and... I guess it was kind of the peak. I would say that was the peak of where I was deep in it. And there was, it's almost like I was halfway through and I always knew that it wouldn't be forever, but I knew I had to be in it to learn lessons. There was kind of this deeper knowledge that, okay, this is really unhealthy for me, but there's no way I'm leaving it now. I don't, I I can't leave it now. It was, you know, but then I, there'd been so much that had happened. So it was this pinnacle point within my own, I guess, growth and realization wanting to change what had happened but also seeing that it needed to happen for me to change in the future so it was it was definitely a pinnacle point and I think that's why it holds such a special place because when I listen to it I can hear how much pain I was in when I was writing it like I really feel that but it's almost like I guess that part where not that I enjoyed the pain but it was like I knew so much was happening for me you know, at that time of making it, that it kind of is like, I just want to put it in this little nest and be like, that little part of me, I, I see you and I, I hear you. <laughs> so I kind of, I, it's maybe like a protective feeling I have over that song because it represents that kind of more vulnerable time of my life. Hopefully that makes some kind of picture of how it, how, what it does for me. No, it absolutely does. And I will ask one more question because a song that I'm absolutely obsessed with of yours is The Talking Palm Tree. And in the lyrics you say, mirrors everywhere reflecting your fears, but then in the chorus you're talking about freedom. So I feel like for me the way that resonates is being free of your certain paradigms or fears. I don't know, I wanted to know what is your story and your personal sort of take on that song so when I write songs I feel like 
it's all very subconscious. Like there's not a lot of, I'm not going to say there's not intentional thought because obviously that is while I'm writing it, but it's only when I step back and I've actually had months and I know a lot of our other artists have this, you know, experience. It's only when you step back after maybe months of the song being written that you really feel what it was fully about. But I guess when I was writing that at the time I was learning a lot about this archetype in astrology called Lilith and Lilith kind of represents that part of us that is so suppressed and it, it's kind of like the the wild part of us that we push down because of society and structure that could be our family or the wider the, the wider kind of net of just social structures that we push this really wild part of us down so I feel like with the, that exact line, mirrors reflecting back all our fears, when we suppress things, it will always still be reflected in other people. So if we're attracting, you know, challenging situations or certain people that really trigger us and stuff, it is mirroring back, you know, a suppressed part that's very kind of a Jungian philosophy or, you know, the way he perceived things was that we bring things into our life to show us things about ourselves. So, the chorus freedom is exactly that. It's like when we are aware of that and we integrate that and we don't disown these parts of us, that's where the freedom is because you're completely having a 360 spectrum view of yourself and your place in your life. So again, while I was writing it, I don't think I was intentionally even thinking the words just kind of come out, but Definitely when I look back, that is what I was personally going through, that whole Answers EP that the Talking Palm Tree is from. A lot of the themes are exactly that, you know, seeing myself in my own life in terms of tricky things that were happening and, you know, all of that. So that's that song definitely was the pinnacle, I think, of that feeling and the realisation of, oh, damn, like, when I look at these things, it's actually free. It's not scary. I feel actually free being able to look at it all from a bird's eye uh, perch. I want to ask about your collaboration with Abbey Road Studios and the London Symphony Orchestra. How did that all come about? Well, the way that came about was I had released an EP called Three Earth and on that EP was a track called Miss Kayani. Um, and I think it was just I had a friend on Instagram who was friends with maybe an, an an engineer that worked at Abbey Road Studios. And I think she had shared this song and he reached out saying, oh, you know, I work for Abbey Road. We're really looking to collaborate with some electronic artists um, and put them, you know, put them with the London Contemporary Orchestra um, to make an album for TV and, and film. And he was like, we'd really love to have you on and, you know, just bring something different. I think they were looking for something a bit different. And that, it was funny because that track, I never thought that would necessarily do much, but it, it kind of seemed to take me certain places I'd never have imagined, like Abbey Road. So it wasn't so much, I guess, that experience uh, changed how I made music, but it definitely opened me up to a different approach in terms of, you know, starting to create more for a brief, you know, for TV adverts where, they basically sent me, okay, we want some tracks and this kind of vibe. I think they sent me references such as Fortet, Bonobo. Um, and yeah, they wanted to kind of then have these pieces created so they could fit with an orchestra, which was definitely a first for me, um, composing with an orchestra in mind. So I was layering strings and my, I guess my classical mind kind of had to kick in for that. 
but it was it was an interesting process because I guess that was also a pinnacle of combining my past, my my kind of roots in classical music, but then with the electronic that I kind of picked up along the way with production. Um, yeah, yeah, the experience was insane. I mean, I was just, you know, composing these tracks at home, you know, in my joggers just with a messy bun. And then the next thing I know, I'm kind of in this prestigious studio where the Beatles and Pink Floyd recorded, you know, watching this orchestra play my, you know, little bedroom compositions. Um, but I think I had to, I had to compose quite a few. I think it was like six songs and then they chose kind of their favorites from those. Um, and it, the experience as well was really, was really helpful I think for my production mostly because I it wasn't there was no vocals required just some kind of oohs and ahs backing vocals so it was really good for me I think just to focus solely on the instrumentation learn about you know what works in that setting of film and tv having that in mind as opposed to just me you know creating and expressing you know whatever emotion I was going through it was much more detached um but it was really, it was just so trippy being in that room. I was like, you know, definitely imposter syndrome kicked in. I was like, how am I here? Um, it was incredible though. Like I'm so grateful for that experience because, you know, not many people can say that they've had the opportunity to do that. And like I said, I still pinch myself <laughs> at that and really happy. It was just the next level seeing this orchestra play my string arrangements. I just still can't get over that feeling. So, and I've kind of kept the, the they gave me a score with where they like put it all in notes on the paper. So yeah, crazy experience, crazy. <laughs> And another wild experience I want to ask you about, probably was a bit surreal, was when Pyramid went crazy on the Spotify viral charts and TikTok. That came about a little bit after its release, didn't it? So from what I understand, as someone told me, it was a Korean either model or Korean pop star or some kind of influencer in Korea posted the the a video with the the track on their video um and it just kind of went from there I don't know how it went viral but I guess maybe he was a bigger star and some people heard it and I I didn't even have TikTok really at the time I think I had a page but it wasn't active so I just started getting texts from people being like oh you didn't realize your song is like everywhere in TikTok what (laughs) so um yeah, that was another surreal experience. Because that just before that happened, I was I was kind of prepared to be like, okay, I've done a lot with my music career. I need to just give it a rest. Like I'm burnt out from releasing the album, and I was ready to kind of just be like, I'm going to do art full time. And that was when it kind of happened, and it was like, yeah, the universe was saying, no, no, <laughs> it's time for you to come back. <laughs> It's funny because I was just thinking about other interviews we've done with musicians and it's kind of similar, like they're ready to give up and then something happens, even if it's just a person they meet or experience or offer. You've obviously been breaking ground in the Web3 space as well now, so how's all that going and how did you even find Web3 in the first place? After the track went viral, I had opportunities to sign to some majors and it was like a real fork in the road of like, okay, I could go down this route and, you know, 
I don't want to say sell my soul, but just, you know, really get back into that frame of mind. But there was something in me that was like, "Mm, I want to retain that independence. But I didn't want to go back into the way I was being independent before, you know, in Web2 style, which is very hard. It's very, very hard as an independent artist. Like, you have to wear way too many hats than one person is, like, capable of. And so I was kind of at this junction point of, like, okay, I've got this cool opportunity. I'll kind of dip a toe in but not go fully in. And then I had heard of music NFTs, you know, I think in 2021, um, someone I knew had kind of released some and with my artwork, it was more so through my artwork, people would say, oh, you should release this as as an NFT. And I didn't really understand what it was. I knew it was connected with crypto, but it was just this abstract term. that I just just didn't look further into. So it was kind of on my radar, but I, I didn't know much about music NFTs. And then I think I saw an interview with Latasha on NFT Now, and the way that she described her experience just resonated so much and just how she approached her artistry and, you know, just her kind of entrepreneurial spirit and how that just wasn't, you know, matching her Web2 experience. And that's very much, I guess, how I felt because I am very self-led and I think going into the sort of Web2 structure where if you're in a major label, they do kind of want to mould you a little bit. That always made me feel quite uncomfortable, even if it was for my own good. I, the rebel in me was like, no, don't tell me what to do. So I never found a structure yeah. that fit that that way of being until I, yeah, heard more about Web3 and how artists were releasing music there. So that would have been maybe November October, November time last year. And so after that, I was just researching as much as I could, learning more about, because I didn't really know much about crypto either. You know, I I did have some Ethereum, I think, but it was just from someone saying, oh, you should get some Ethereum. But I didn't really understand terms. I didn't really know. So I spent a good few weeks kind of researching everything I could about Web3, learning about, you know, other artists that have released NFTs, how they did things, you know, the different phrases, the lingo. And I then had a call with Jaden Violet. Um, I think I started following him and he just sent a message after I followed and was like, oh, I love your music. Like, if you ever want to jump on a call about like, you know, music NFTs, let me know. So I had a great chat with him and he really kind of, you know, explain his experience and how he approached things and it was really mind-blowing like he's got such an incredible kind of approach and mindset about how you know how to exist in web3 and it was so different from anything I you know had experienced in the web2 style of releasing music so yeah had that call with him and then I started joining more twitter spaces like following other artists and just kind of feeling out how it worked and that all that year prior to discovering Web3 in this way, I'd been working on an album, finishing off an EP because the viral moment on TikTok really, you know, got me back into music. I was like, okay, I need to finish off all this music. So I was like, okay, I have all this music and now I'm just now discovering this new way of releasing music. So yeah, I really spent time educating myself and I got to the point where I was like, okay, I don't really know how much more I can do. I'm in these Twitter spaces. I don't necessarily fully know where to go from here. And that's when I then discovered Emma Miller's space, um, who she hosts these space, uh, was hosting these spaces every day, every weekday. 
And because she was from the UK, I was like, okay, that I can relate more because a lot of the spaces I were in were very kind of American and nothing wrong with that. But there was, I just didn't, it felt like they'd already kind of established their clique and I didn't feel like I, I could really get in if that makes sense or I didn't feel like they really were like who's this who's this random British girl you know (laughs) so I started joining Emma Miller's space and that was when it felt like boots on the ground I was really understanding more and more the way she explained it she was really explaining the technicals and invited newbies like myself up to ask questions and so that was kind of where it really felt like I could form a plan of how to start releasing music and now I'm here. <laughs> so I'm still still learning a lot. The, the learning process still continues because obviously it changes so much. But um, yeah, that was my kind of entry point, I would say. Very long-winded way of explaining that. <laughs> I love that point about Jaden because that just goes to show how good the community is, like literally DMing you, like, let's get on a call. That's yeah. the best thing about yeah. it. Everyone's so welcoming. Yeah, for sure. Um, so what have you got what have you got coming up next? Do you have anything exciting to share? I am planning to release a song through Nifty Music. So I'm mint, releasing a mint pass and then doing the floor drop with them. So I have a track um coming out with them and then after that I plan to release a much more raw piano kind of yeah, just I, I it's still in the making, but these songs that have been locked away for a long time that I've have been so so precious to me but I always knew there was going to be a timing for them and I do feel like that time is definitely coming up so after I've done the floor drop I plan to yeah release maybe a, a small collection of these very kind of emotive piano based bit of electronic kind of EP collection um so that's kind of the next plans but everything changes so much as we know so that could shift and alter in other ways but those are my kind of immediate plans but yeah the floor drop with nifty that should be july maybe august time so so is it all the web3 focus at the moment or would you jump between the two at the minute it has been more web3 focus but i i kind of stepped back a bit from web2 uh in terms of talking about you know releasing music on the blockchain because I felt like I was still learning so much that I didn't feel in a place where I could be like, hey, guys, this is what I'm doing. Because also it's, you know, it is shouting into the void a little bit, you know, with explaining to, Mm. you know, the current music industry about NFTs because it's so not a thing yet (laughs) in that world. But my plan is to kind of slowly start introducing, you know, what I have been doing in in this world. Um, and especially as well, because with the floor drop, he's introduced or the, the, the team there have introduced um, the ability to pay with credit card, PayPal. So you can, you know, you can get your Web2 fans across if that's something they want to be involved in in a much simpler way where they don't have to learn, you know, how to <laughs> be on the blockchain or buy anything from there. So that's my plan is to kind of talk about that and also release music there as well and start crafting more of a web two uh kind of campaign for that that's more tailored to you know how i'm doing things now um but that's going to take some kind of you know figuring out and a lot of content creation what does success look like out of interest like what's what what's what are you running towards 
Success for me at the minute would actually be uh, successfully managing my day where I have great headspace for creating, great time for being on spaces, like a really balanced day of like, you know, admin, creative and social, you know, that would be success for me. Um, Because obviously, yeah, it's quite hard to balance creative time as well as being so involved in you know talking to people and you know all that's required to exist here so for me that is the success that I am aiming for (laughs) and obviously it's successful collection would be amazing for as many people to be able to straddle web two and web three in a really healthy functioning way that's in flow you know I'm, I'm kind of have the energy to to put into both so Time management is the uh, is the goal. <laughs> this episode was proudly brought to you by Massive, building the world's most connected community of artists and fans. Head to massive.fan to find out more about their new platform 